wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for October 1st, 2020. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. We have a bit of a weird show here today, as usually RJ joins me. To break down the week in wrestling, today we would have been talking about together the Clash of Champions pay-per-view from WWE on Sunday, Raw, NXT, Dynamite, uh, TakeOver 31 predictions for Sunday's NXT show, which I'm looking forward to. Unfortunately, just due to my chaotic schedule this week, we can't have RJ on for the full show. Um, I do say this later on, you know, in the episode, and you'll know why in a second, um, that I would have felt remiss if I didn't have RJ on, not just in general, but because we had a show with uh, Jamie Lee Mack, actually, a couple of weeks ago, about a month or so ago, and that was awesome. He was a ton of fun, um, actually, almost two months ago at this point. So it's not that he has to be here on the show, but I would be remiss if he wasn't on the show to help me do takeover predictions. Now, RJ has done NXT takeover predictions with me, for every takeover, I believe, for the last two or three years. I didn't want to break that streak, so he is on the show here today. I found, I, I was going to carve out 10 to 15 minutes to talk with him about TakeOver 31 on Sunday. We ended up talking for 20 minutes, so that's going to be at the very end of the episode here today. I'm going to save that conversation for the final stretch of the show. Um, before then, I will be getting to my thoughts on Clash of Champions, flying solo here today, as well as on Raw, NXT, Dynamite, possibly, and again, we'll save the TakeOver 31 talk for later on in the show. We'll pro I probably won't talk too much about NXT, um, just because we save a lot of our thoughts in NXT for the TakeOver predictions. Before we get to any of that, though, if you want to check out new episodes of WrestleRant Radio, you can do so every single Thursday on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place, baby, so find the show rate the show, subscribe to the show, and never miss an episode. Thank you so much for your support of the show. I very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. So, as I mentioned, before we get to the NX to take over 31 preview and predictions for Sunday... I do want to talk about Clash of Champions from last Sunday, which overall I thought was a decent show, to be quite honest with you. Um, I wasn't expecting a lot. I thought the build for the pay-per-view was pretty lackluster, specifically on the Raw side. Because SmackDown, I don't want to say it's been killing it lately, but the blue brand has absolutely, undoubtedly, been more impressive and more compelling, more entertaining from week to week than Monday Night Raw. Specifically with the Roman Reigns stuff. Heal Roman Reigns. And I said this on Twitter and other reviews and other stuff like that, is my new favorite thing. He's just been a revelation the last couple of weeks. But I'll get to him on the show in a moment. We kicked off the show with a kickoff show, of course, uh, with Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura successfully defending their SmackDown Tag Team titles against the Lucha House Party's Kalisto and Lince Dorado. A decent match with the expected result. You know, honestly, there was a lot of, you know, backlash coming into the pay-per-view as to whether... Asuka and Zelina Vega belonged on the card. The match itself definitely did not. Make no mistake about that. Asuka, I argued, did. Just because of how big of a star she is, she's been positioned as the face of that Raw women's division. For example, in the last couple of years, you would absolutely never fucking see um, Charlotte Flair. Becky Lynch, specifically, in the last couple of years. But in general... I don't think I have ever seen Charlotte Flair on a kickoff show before. I have not seen Becky Lynch on a kickoff show in several years. If you wouldn't put those women on the kickoff show, Sasha Banks, Bailey, same thing, why would you put Asuka on the kickoff show? Now, again, I know the caliber of her opponent, uh, uh, you know, that being Zelina Vega, was not the greatest. Definitely not a match I was looking forward to or cared about too much. But there's no reason as to why that match can't be on the main card 
but the SmackDown tag team title match should be. I mean, we got to call a spade a spade here. This was the better match of the two on the show. I will be the first to admit that. And it has had a bit of a better bill than Asuka versus Elena Vega. But at the same time, though, it's a tag team match that no one really cares about. The Lucha House Party have been heavily damaged over the last number of years. Cesaro and Nakamura, as good as they are, aren't really a top-tier tag team in terms of star power like the New Day or the Usos or whoever. So I was glad they made the switch. Um, this made more sense to be on the kickoff show, in my opinion, than the Raw Women's Championship match. It wouldn't have angered me even if it was on the show. Um, but I, you know, it was being reported that changes were made with the cards lineup and whatnot because of who was pulled from the pay-per-view. That being Nikki Cross, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax. Now, no reason was specifically given as to why they weren't on the show, aside from that, in WWE's words anyway, them not being medically cleared. They weren't cleared to compete, therefore they couldn't compete on the show. As far as I know, and it's been almost a week now, none of those three women are hurt. Te yeah, Tegan Knox is hurt. She suffered another torn ACL this past week, which is fucking terrible. That's a huge setback. And not that she suffered it this week, but it was announced this week that she has a torn ACL, which is another torn ACL, which is awful. But I don't think Nikki Cross is hurt. I don't think Shane is hurt. I don't think Lana's hurt. Rather, I think it was more a case... Uh, not Lana, I'm sorry. Shayna Baszler or Nia Jax. Not much of a difference talent level-wise, but um, I, 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 my guess is that you know, obviously Nikki Cross is married to Killian Dane, who's in NXT, where there's been a COVID outbreak recently, um, and NXT in the Performance Center. So draw your own conclusions, but I assume that's why she wasn't on the show. Not that she's absolutely sick, but she may have been exposed to someone who was, or they were just taking precautions. The same thing with Sheena. Now, I don't think she lives with Jessamyn Duke and uh, Marina Shafir anymore. I doubt it, just because Marina is married to Roderick Strong. I think at one point they were living together, and that might have been years and years ago with Ronda Rousey. Um, but I'm sure she does, you know, come in close contact with her friends from NXT. So again, that might have been a reason why they weren't on the show. Now, Bailey did get a new opponent for the SmackDown Women's Championship, so instead of facing Nikki Cross, she ended up facing Asuka instead. Surprise, surprise, the Raw Women's Champion. Doesn't make any sense? Absolutely not. But that was the match that we got instead. And despite the tagline of the pay-per-view being every championship must be defended, well, in case, you know, <laughs> in case you either have COVID or you've been in contact with someone who has COVID, I guess we can kind of make an exception for you people. But thankfully, that was only the women's tag team title match. It wasn't a match I was overly anticipating anyway in the Riot Squad versus Nia and Shayna match. It was what it was. It sucks for the Riot Squad to be, you know, have their opportunity taken away from them because of circumstances beyond their control, but they will get that opportunity at some point, obviously. It's just more a matter of when than if. WWE, it is worth noting, did not replace that match with anything else. And, you know, in fact, this was the first Clash of Champions pay-per-view, Night of Champions, whatever the fuck, that did not feature a non-title match in over 10 years. I give WWE props for that, because... The original gimmick behind the pay-per-view, Night, Clash of Champions, whatever, was that every match had to be a championship match. Because when they first came up with the pay-per-view gimmick, what was it, 12, 13 years ago, 2007, 2008, it would be now, um, every match was a championship match, but just because they had a lot of titles. And they have a lot of titles now where they can full, they could, you know, fill out a full card with just championship matches. Um, and they were able to back then as well, but like four or five years ago, they couldn't. Because four or five years ago, they had uh, just the U.S. Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, the Universal Championship, the WWE title, the tag titles, and the women's title. That's six matches. That could technically be a, you know, I guess that could be, a, you know, a full card. But then again, they didn't have the World Heavyweight Championship after, what, 2013? So the 2014-2015 installments, I think, only had five title matches in addition to a bunch of non-title matches. So I'm glad they went back to that gimmick this year where they're only having championship matches because it would have been very easy for them to add Rollins and Rey Mysterio. Or, I mean, I guess Rey is hurt right now, but Rollins and Dominic, again, for the upteenth time on this show. But they didn't, so I appreciated their you know resistance in that respect. We kicked off the actual pay-per-view, the main card here, with a triple threat ladder match. For the Intercontinental Championship. Now, this was billed as a winner-take-all match. 
Sami Zayn it was not the Intercontinental Champion. Obviously, WWE knows that. It's been his gimmick. Um, he was never really given a real run with that title before he left earlier this year for justified reasons. Now, WWE, just because they, you know, they, they, they claim they weren't going to hold it against people if they wanted to leave to take time off and whatnot uh, due to the whole COVID circumstance and whatever. But at the same time, I feel like, could, I mean, knowing now what we did, you know, knowing now what we do currently, as opposed to back in May when he left the WWE for a couple of months, were you going to keep the belt on Sammy for six months? The answer is probably no. Now, the idea of an interim championship is actually very intriguing. The problem is that WWE doesn't do interim championships. Now, NXT did, and apparently that's been uh, scrapped, because I don't know if they know when Jordan Devlin's going to be able to come back. That, in addition to the whole speaking out thing, they're probably like, you know what, fuck it, like, Santos Escobar is the new champion, let's just leave it at that, you know? But anyway, so Sammy ended up regaining the belt here after one of the craziest ladder matches I have ever seen. This was a wild-ass match. Some pretty reckless spots, to be completely honest with you, but it was a crazy match. All three guys killed it. Uh, you know, I'm, I have that ladder match fatigue, which... Listen, I love the ladder match. It might, in fact, be my favorite stipulation match in WWE. But I feel like we've seen it so often in the last year and a half, two years in the company, that they don't mean as much as they should. For example, do you even fucking remember the Revival versus New Day ladder match from last December? I know I sure as hell didn't until I looked it up just recently. Do you remember NXT having not one, but two back-to-back -back ladder matches on NXT TV, back in November of last year, Mia Yim, and, oh, I don't even remember, I think it was Mia Yim, and not Shayna, I don't even, I have no clue, I don't remember, I'm drawing a blank here, it might have been Io, I think it was Io and Mia, Io and Mia, and then Adam Cole and Dominic Dijakovic, half of these ladder matches, I don't even remember, there was one with the women in NXT earlier this year, to determine the number one contender, for the NXT Women's Championship, and it was good, but it wasn't entirely memorable. But this was. I thought this was great in one of the best matches of the WWE pandemic era, which is pretty cool. So Sami Zayn, like I said, ended up going over and uh, in the process becoming the all-new Intercontinental Champion for the Raw Women's Championship. Asuka beating Zelina Vega. Fine match. Vega's performance on Raw I thought was better than it was on this show. But that's not to say, oh, I want to see her in the Raw Women's Championship picture more often. She might improve, and that's great. But I stick back, you know, I stick by what I said originally, that Zelina is better off as a manager. As a wrestler, I have minimal interest, to be completely honest with you. Raw, SmackDown, which as I expect is where she's headed in the upcoming WWE draft, which, by the way, was announced on this show. And what a fucking joke that is. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm going to be skipping around here for a second, but the WWE draft was announced on uh, during the pay-per-view, during the Clash of Champions pay-per-view. The, the You can't make this shit up. The very next night on Raw, they have a tag team match with Natalya and Lana versus the debuting duo of Mandy Rose, which we already knew about, and I thought that was stupid, too. Why would you move her before the draft? And... I know the storyline is that Miz had her moved, but I thought they may have been doing that. Like, oh, if you want to get Mandy back on the show, you're going to have to do this. And it very well still may lead there, but it looks like she's like a like a staple on Raw. She ain't going anywhere. So there's that. Um, I guess they could have done the same angle during the draft. Like, you could have seen Miz talk with the USA Network executives and they draft her. Like, that would have made more sense to me. But anyway, so we already knew about Mandy coming to Raw. Her tag team partner... None other than Dana Brooke, also from SmackDown, who is apparently now a member of the Raw roster. Why? Why is Dana Brooke on Raw? Why should I care about Dana Brooke on Raw? Why, more importantly, are they moving women for literally no reason? This was explained as being a trade between the two brands. But why would there be a trade if we have a draft coming up in a couple of weeks? That, to me, was what didn't make any sense. So I thought that was really weird. But yeah, so we had Asuka beating Zelina Vega at uh, Clash of Champions. For the United States Championship, Bobby Lashley beating Apollo Crews in a good match. Uh, 
I thought their payback match was better, but uh, the Clash of Champions match was pretty decent as well. We then had the Raw Tag Team titles defended, the Street Profits knocking off Andrade and Angel Garza again. A match that anyone could possibly... How they could even give a, a one shit, let alone two shits about this match, I have no idea. I have absolutely no clue. Um, but yeah, so the, the match was fine. It was well wrestled. I expect that Andrade and Garza would have won. Otherwise, I'm not really sure why you would have done this again. But it looked like Andrade was... or I'm sorry, not Andrade's... Uh, Angel Garza was legitimately injured here. So that's probably why, or it is absolutely why, why they cut the match short. So the referee counted three, even though Garza, or rather Andrade, clearly kicked out of like a simple move that Angelo Dawkins did. Everyone was confused. Angelo was confused. Andrade was confused. It was just one giant fucking mess. It was a mess. So the Street Profits retain, and we currently don't know the extent of Angel Garza's injury. He could be out for a week. He could be out for six months. We currently have no idea, which sucks, but the match was good. The bad finish just really ruined, really soured it for me, really ruined it for me, really left a sour taste in my mouth in the sense that would it have killed you, dude? The referee, that is, would it have killed you to communicate to the wrestlers as to what was going on? Because it looked like he just counted three just to end the thing so he can go check up on Angel Garza. Maybe they were supposed to win. They couldn't do the spot. So they pulled an audible, they called an audible, and they had Profits win. Couldn't you have made that clear before you made that 1-2-3, though? Very abruptly. And it came across terribly, too. So it made the referee look like an idiot for counting three when it clearly wasn't three. Could they do a rematch on Raw to give Garza and Andrade another shot after they were kind of screwed out of the win here? Sure. Should they? No. Just because we've seen the match so many fucking times... I really want any one of these people. The Profits, probably not, just because they're the Raw Tag Team Champions, but either both Andrade and Garza, or maybe just Garza, to go to SmackDown. Like, I, I love Andrade and Garza as a tag team, but if they're just going to keep losing to the Street Profits, then how much does this shit really matter, you know? The SmackDown Women's title stuff was a complete waste of time. So I mentioned this earlier, but Nikki Cross was supposed to be going for the championship, before she had to be pulled from the pay-per-view the very last minute, uh, forcing WWE to put anyone else in that spot instead. Now, I don't want to say anyone, just because Dana Brooke being in that spot, like, who would have given two fucks, but, like, at the same time, it's better than Asuka. Now, this had the potential to be a better match than that, but Asuka and Bailey have already had a bunch of matches already. I mean, not just overall since 2016 when they first faced off, but... In the last couple of months alone, they've had at least three or four matches. I can recall at least one match they had on Raw. I feel like they had a second match on Raw, but I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure they did have two matches on Raw. And then a third match at SummerSlam. So that would make this the fourth match that these two have had in the last two or three months, which is completely ridiculous. The match I realized only went three minutes, but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. You just have Bailey say that she is defending it, she wins by forfeit, and then that's it. Asuka, especially after already wrestling earlier on in the evening, should not have been out there. So Sasha comes out, Sasha attacks Bailey, and uh, she's still wearing the neck brace. But you know this fucking company could not help themselves because they did this whole Bailey Sasha angle. And yeah, I guess I'm glad I'm supposed to be happy they didn't do the match at this pay per view, but. They're holding off at least one month like they should have held off three or four months. Yeah, WrestleMania is way off. I've said that before. I've gone on the record in saying it might be a little extreme to wait until WrestleMania to do this match. But just to blow it, I don't know if they'll blow it off, but I just don't think their first match should be inside Hell in a Cell. That's my problem. We are very clearly headed in that direction, though. Per at WrestleVotes which is a very reliable source more often than not, reported, I believe, on Tuesday that currently, as plans you know, stand right now, as things stand right now, Bailey and Sasha is scheduled to main event that pay-per-view on October 25th. Now, I completely get it. The Mandalorian Season 2 is coming out in late October. Sasha's in it. Honestly, here's my issue with the whole thing. Here's my issue with the whole thing, okay? So, I want Sasha to be Bailey ultimately. 
I do. Can they have Bailey win here and then go on to lose to Sasha at a later date? Absolutely. Whether it be the Rumble, WrestleMania, whatever. They could definitely do that. I've seen it before. They could do it here as well. My issue is that if Sasha loses to Bailey, okay, she will have lost to all three, four horsewomen inside Hell in a Cell. Like, that may not seem like a big deal to most people, but it bothers me just thinking about it. That Sasha would have lost to Charlotte four years ago. She would have lost to Becky last year inside Hell in a Cell. And she would have lost to Bailey at Hell in a Cell this year. Therefore, kind of cementing her as the weakest of the four horsewomen. So, I mean, again, Bailey beating her isn't a bad idea. I actually kind of prefer that. But it doesn't make Sasha look the greatest. And the fact that it would headline and, like, yeah, just, I don't know. I just, I, I don't love that idea. I really don't. I, I really feel like they're fast-tracking it. Um, just because it is a match. They, I mean, listen, if they did it at TLC, I feel like it would be okay. They could still do the match next month and not have it be inside Hell in a Cell. Given the nature of their story, it doesn't make sense for it to be in there. I just wouldn't have their first match. Their first main major pay-per-view one-on-one match be inside fucking Hell in a Cell. I don't like that at all. But that's what we're getting. And hey, you know what? Sasha may very well win. And then they blow the whole thing off there. But I feel like they could milk a couple more months out of this, which I never thought I would say. But based off what they've done so far, I had faith that they could have waited at least until Survivor Series or TLC or the Rumble to do that first match. Clearly, I was wrong. And now we're getting into Hell in the Cell very likely. So we'll see what they do with it. And again, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure the match is going to be great. I just don't agree with hotshotting it. And I know they've been telling the story now for four years, like just fucking get to the point already. But that injury angle, that initial injury angle was so fucking brutal that to bring Sasha back so quickly, in my opinion, is a massive mistake. In an ambulance match, we had Drew McIntyre taking on Randy Orton. I I didn't love this. I just thought it kind of dragged at certain points. I just kind of found it to be boring, to be completely honest with you. I I guess it was one of the better ambulance matches I've seen, and I've seen a few over the years. Obviously, Shane and Kane is awesome, but and that's from 2003. Um, you know, I remember John Cena versus Ryback, John Cena versus Kane, Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt. They did one with Roman and Braun, which I remember being decent. I just I don't love the stipulation. I really thought, yeah, the interference here made sense, and it further that story with the legends and Orton is the legend killer and all these people is kicked in the head coming back to avenge, you know, themselves or whatever. They're the modern day Avengers are our big show, Christian, Ric Flair and, uh, Christian Ric Flair, or Shawn Michaels. But who would be who though is the question. So obviously Orton would be low key. If we're talking like the 2012 Avengers here, Ric Flair, I guess would, Kind of have to be, not Iron Man, but he's because he's old as shit. Maybe Hulk? I'm not really sure. Let, let's not even go down that topic because the more I think about it, the more dumb it is. But yeah, I thought the match was fine. It was, uh, from a storytelling standpoint, it worked in terms of protecting Orton to defeat, I guess. We did find out on Raw that the feud isn't over as Orton attacked all the legends that cost him the win here. I just, again, the, the SummerSlam match was great. But you really got to fucking move on. This is now three consecutive losses to Drew McIntyre. Three consecutive losses in general on pay-per-view for Randy Orton. He beat, or he lost to Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. He lost to Keith Lee at Payback. And he lost again to Drew on Sunday at Clash of Champions. They got to do something else here. They won't, but they should. The main event, if we're talking about storytelling here, this was an absolute storytelling masterpiece. I thought this match was fan-fucking-tastic. And as a match, it was good. It was actually pretty good. Especially when it came to, like, all the near falls and making people think that Jay had a legitimate shot of becoming the Universal Champion. And he obviously didn't from a booking standpoint. Um, but at the same time, though, it was... Just it was it was great. You know, we had we had shirtless Roman Reigns for the first time, which for his heel persona, as far as that's concerned, is perfect. It fits that character to a T. He came across like a douchey. He toyed with Jay, kind of beat him around a little bit. He would hit him with spears without pinning him. 
Jimmy ran down to throw out the white towel. So I thought that was a, a nice storytelling tidbit there. And uh, ended up throwing it in and costing Jay the match. Now, it was only after Jay had said, don't throw in the towel. And then he proceeded to get pummeled by Roman Reigns. So it was probably for the better that Jimmy, you know, that, that Jimmy uh, throw in the towel for Roman Reigns. Or for his brother against Roman Reigns. It's probably for the better. But the entire match was very fun. I really much enjoyed this. I thought both guys played their roles well. Jay Uso was the ultimate underdog. And Roman Reigns is, uh, you know, very good in his own right. He was uh, quite great here, actually, as the heel, as the bully heel. He was awesome. So I really, really liked this. It was a great way to close out the show. The sight of Roman just standing there with that smug-ass look on his face, holding the Universal Championship high above his head as Jimmy tends to his brother was an incredible visual. It was just purely fantastic. I thought that was a good way to close out the show. The show overall wasn't great. Um, I did think it was uh, pretty decent. It was made worthwhile by the opener and the main event. The ambulance match, I didn't love as many other as, as much as other people did. I thought it was just kind of boring, but the middle of the card was pretty you know hit or miss as well. But I thought the main event was awesome, and the opener was awesome too. So for those two things alone, I can't shit on this show. Monday Night Raw the next night uh, was, I would say, more of the same. It was a slight improvement over last week's, you know, just abomination of a show. It was that bad. It, w- it was really, really fucking bad. This show wasn't that much better, but I would say it was still decent, you know, on the whole. So the whole thing with Orton attacking the legend, setting up another match with Drew at the pay-per-view, I just, I just can't bring myself to care about another match. You would think Keith Lee would want revenge for getting punted in the head by Randy Orton last week, but you, had you assumed that, you would have assumed wrong. Because Keith was back on the show a week after getting his head kicked in by Randy. He focused on Andrade and he beat him. No word of Orton, no sign of Keith going after Randy. Now props to Keith, he did say in a WWE.com exclusive after Raw on Monday that... Uh, he didn't want to get involved in Randy's match at the pay-per-view. Didn't want to have him cost, you know, didn't want to cost him the championship, blah, blah, blah. He wanted to just move on, apparently. Didn't want to fight fire with fire. Didn't want to subject himself to interfere in other people's matches of Drew and Randy, like Drew and Randy have done to him in recent weeks. Just wanted to move on. So, apparently Keith is not the vengeful type and doesn't care about the fact that Orton kicked him in the head. Maybe at some point they'll follow up on this, but I thought that was just odd. And again, he tried to explain it, which I applaud him for. I assume that was him coming up with his own explanation because they didn't really make that clear on the show itself, but whatever. So also on Raw, we had a rematch. Why? I have no idea, but we had one. Between Asuka and Zelina Vega for the Raw Women's Championship that saw Asuka emerge victorious. Um, Still the Raw Women's Champion, obviously. Seth Rollins interrupting the King's Court segment with the Mysterio family, and we had some developments on the murphy Elias shit. The less said about this, the better. RJ would be on here praising this. I just can't really give it the time of day. I just I just don't care. I, I could not care less. I really don't. Uh, they're clearly setting up this sympathy story with Murphy. I guess they want you to feel bad for him for hitting a 19-year-old, even though he's like 31, 32. I find that to be weird, not that there's anything wrong with that, but listen, that's not exactly, uh, I don't know, I, I just didn't really care about it too much, I thought it was just bizarre, so, um, not a, not a fan of that whole angle, hopefully it ends soon, I hope Murphy gets strapped at a SmackDown, so, we don't have to deal with it, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's the, uh, that's the update on that, it's still stupid, so, no real update after all. I already talked about the Mandy and Dana Brooke thing and how Dana Brooke is now in Raw for no real reason, but they did beat Lana and Natalia, so they're a tag team now. Another thing that didn't really sit well with me, but the whole Mandy Rose Dana thing—they look like they look like a great team. They can go in the ring, whatever. But my issue is that we just broke Mandy weight from a tag team. She was with Sonya for what two or three years, so now they put her with another partner. She had some real momentum coming out of SummerSlam. When she won that match against Sonya Deville, I feel like they gave Mandy some time off just to, you know, whatever. I don't think she really has been shown on the show at all since SummerSlam, so they wanted to give her some time off about a month um, after the whole Sonya breaking thing happened, you know, a short while before that. 
but she had some real momentum coming out of that match, so to move to Raw, away from Otis, and put right back in a tag team, I feel like it's a complete waste. Mandy has real potential on her own. She doesn't need to be in another tag team. Yes, that women's tag team division needs more teams, but I don't feel that this is the answer. Kevin Owens beat Aleister Black by disqualification after, get this, Aleister Black accidentally hit the referee. Literally accidentally. It wasn't like, <coughs> excuse me, oh, I did it by accident, but he actually did it on purpose, whatever. No, he actually, it, it was an accident. The referee, being an idiot, called for the bell anyway. Even though there's no way to tell whether it was, you know, you know, incidental or not, and I guess the excuse is that, oh, it's the referee's call, whatever he or she say goes, but it was still stupid. It was WWE's way of protecting Black and Defeat, without him getting pinned again. Because the first time Retribution not interfered, but distracted Black from the from the big screens around the Thunderdome. So speaking of Retribution, I'll mention this real quick. Nowhere to be seen on this show. No Retribution, no Raw Underground. It was a breath of fresh air. I don't really mind the Raw Underground stuff. My problem is with how there's no real stakes there. And now Retribution is just a completely pointless faction. It could not be any more pointless if they tried. It's stupid. I know they're trying to salvage it on Twitter, the members, that is, of the group. It still sucks. Uh, there was a report that indicated, I forgot from where, that they were going to be kept off the show due to precautionary measures, just because, you know, they were former NXT talent, and there's a big COVID outbreak right now. They all, a lot of them are located in Florida anyway. So yeah, that, that's why they were kept off the show, and it was nice to not have Retribution on the show four or five times doing, you know, diddly squat, doing jack shit, but it didn't make the show drastically better. So Kevin Owens beats Black by DQ before laying him out with a stunner anyway. Again, I reiterate, what's the point? We had another pointless match on the show, R-Truth beating Drew Gulak and Akira Tozawa in a triple threat match to retain the 24-7 championship. Who the fuck could possibly care? That was stupid. Murphy beat Dominic Mysterio to further that story. Mustafa Ali finally returned from main event duty uh, to team with Apollo Crews and Ricochet to knock off the Hurt Business. Now, Cedric Alexander was nowhere to be seen. Uh, MVP, I think, said that he was in, like, Hurt Business boot camp or something. I don't know. This company's so scared to acknowledge, like, hey, we're keeping these people off the shows to, you know, just test them and make it more realistic. To not even explain it, to me, is just silly. At this day and age, everyone knows what the deal is. I love how AEW actually acknowledges when someone is either sick or is quarantining because they were in contact with someone who is sick. So, I just, I don't really know why they do that. But Ali's team did win. He beat MVP again. And I say again because when he came back to Raw the first time, about, I don't know, two or three months ago, he pinned MVP in a six-minute tag team match. He proceeded to lose to Lashley the very next week, and then that was it. So, I don't know if this is the direction they're going with him. He teased the heel turn on me in an event, and then we saw no sign of that here. And then not only that, with, you know, Ali, I assume he's just being built up to face Lashley at the next pay-per-view, fail to win the United States Championship, and then that's it. So, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm skeptical. Either way, they got to end this whole Apollo Crews ricochet her business bullshit because we've been dealing with this now for almost three or four months. You got to move the fuck on. The main event saw Drew McIntyre issue an open challenge with his WWE Championship on the line. The stipulation was that it couldn't be accepted by anyone who has previously faced Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. So that's why when Ziggler came out, you obviously knew where this was going. Ziggler was not out there to challenge Roman. Um, there was a few people who couldn't challenge Roman. One pe one person who could was Robert Roode. He resurfaced after a six-month hiatus. Uh, great to see Roode. I thought this was a great match. It might have been better than the TakeOver Brooklyn 3 match from three years ago, to be honest with you. But this was still really good. They have the history from then over the NXT Championship. McIntyre won clean, despite the interference from... You know, uh, Dolph Ziggler and the distractions and Rude hitting the glorious DDT. McIntyre still found a way to win. And it was a great match. And then we had the angle with Orton and the Legends to close the show. Uh, do I expect Rude to be taken seriously now as like a top-tier title contender? The answer is no. No, I don't. I think that's it for him. Um, in the WWE title match, I felt like this was a one-off. They only brought him back in this role to kind of pop people. 
But it was a great match, though, and I would have no issue with Rude being... In fact, I would be all for Rude being pushed as a single star on this show. Doesn't look like we're going to get it, but it looks like, if anything, he's just going to be placed right back in the tag team with Dolph Ziggler. Doesn't do a lot for me, but again, a lot like with the women. I know they need more teams, so I guess that's the deal right now. But it would have been cool to see Rude back on his own challenging for an Intercontinental or United States Championship. Real quickly from Dynamite, I have to pull up the results here on my website. Um, I thought it was a good show, far from a great show. No NXT thoughts from the show itself now. I'm going to talk about those thoughts when RJ and I predict uh, TakeOver 31 in a few minutes. But for Dynamite, we had Darby Allen knocking off Ricky Starks in the opener. Great, fun, 10-minute exciting match. Just a hell of a sprint from two guys that could be considered the feature of this promotion. Darby Allen won. Uh, we had Will Hobbs come out, a brawl with uh, Brian Cage, setting up an FTW title match for next week. We had Cody accepting an AEW TNT Championship Challenge from Brody Lee in a dog collar match for next week. Now, I don't remember if I've ever seen one, a dog collar match in pro wrestling. I know what they are, but it, it could be very good or this could be just a complete shit show. I'm not exactly convinced of either one of these, uh, of either one of those two things happening. Uh, I, I guess we'll see, but you know, it was a good segment. Great fire from Cody. We'll find out what happens next week. My guess is that Cody gets the belt back just cause I thought he was really doing some great work with the open challenge and then they ended it. So I guess we'll see at some point. Um, FTR knocking off SCU to retain the AEW world tag team titles. Excellent match. Uh, probably the best match or the best match in the entire show by far, but I like the whole brush with greatness challenge. A mix for some interesting matches. And I do assume all road I I do assume all roads lead to FTR versus best friends. Either at the anniversary show or soon after. Uh, or maybe at full gear, because that match could be great as well. Chris Jericho versus Isaiah Cassidy of Private Party. Fun little match. Jericho gave Cassidy a lot of offense. He allowed him to pick up a lot of offense here, look good in defeat. And uh I, you know, I'm not sold on Cassidy being this future single star, but he looked good here, and I thought it was a fun match. So that served its purpose, with the right result of Jericho winning, by the way. We had Orange Cassidy beating Preston 10 Vance, 10 of the Dark Order. Was what it was. Britt Baker is back, and she beat Red Velvet in a pretty solid showcase enhancement match. I thought it was all right. Uh, great to see Baker back, looking more aggressive and intense than ever, so I appreciate that. And then the main event saw John Moxley defend the AEW World Championship against The Butcher. Now, the match was okay, but I felt like I just didn't really care because we knew The Butcher wasn't going to win. He's been he's been positioned as no one special in this company so far. So why the fuck should I care about this guy? In my opinion. In my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I thought this was okay, but it wasn't great. Definitely wasn't great. Uh, Moxley wins. That was it. He fends off Eddie Kingston's, you know, Eddie Kingston's little group afterward, and that was the end of the show. So, nothing too noteworthy from Dynamite, but it was uh, enjoyable for what it was. So, at this time, I'm going to throw the show to RJ, where we're going to do a preview and full-on predictions for the event on Sunday. So, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with the returning RJ Marceau. Mr. Marceau back here on WrestleRant Radio. We're talking NXT TakeOver 31. No fancy name, unfortunately. Uh, we're kind of short for time here today. Can't have you on for the full show, but I don't think we missed a takeover prediction panel yet in the last two or three years. So I would be remiss, Mr. Marceau, to not have you on here today to talk takeover on Sunday. Yeah, I don't think we missed one in a, in a long time. So how to get this one in? <laughs> so when I was texting you earlier, you were like, oh, no, it's cool if I don't come on. I'm like, yeah, but I really want him on. Like, of course, of all the shows, I'm like, fuck, it's a TakeOver prediction show. Like, I can't miss this. So we're going to talk TakeOver real quickly here. Uh, there's only five matches announced for the card. I could have sworn, and maybe you can correct me, Mr. Marceau, that maybe it was on the pre-show they announced the four, or maybe it was never even announced, that the Undisputed Era versus Lorcan and Birch match would happen with the winners earning a tag title match. Is that ha Does that have anything to do with TakeOver at all? Um, I don't know if they, like, had a set deadline of when that match was going to happen. I thought it just said, like, whoever won their team would then face each other for a number one contenders match. I don't think it said it was going to be for TakeOver. Maybe it did. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure. I feel like we haven't seen those guys in a couple of weeks. We haven't seen Maverick and Dane in a couple of weeks. They were doing the tag team thing with Undisputed Era. 
Um, I don't know if one of them had COVID. That's pure speculation. I don't know if they did or not, but I don't know what's going on there because the whole NXT outbreak happened. I apparently, reportedly, shuffled up a lot of what we're going to be seeing on Sunday. But on paper, to be quite honest with you, although it is absolutely a filler show, this looks to be a very good show and the takeovers never disappoint. Kind of gives me takeover respect vibes uh, from almost exactly five years ago. But we work from the bottom, work our way up here with the only non-title match on the card as of right now, Kushida, Velveteen Dream. Slightly random, I liked how on the show last night they gave Kushida more of a motivation as to why this match is happening, why he's more aggressive. Um, he beat, I think, Tony Nese. He's been winning a lot more lately, which... For me, as a Kushida fan, it's great to see. Velveteen Dream, you know Mr. Marceau, I've always been a fan of his, but up until this year with the whole speaking out thing and just, I don't know, he's been on and off. He hasn't really had any momentum at all. He's lost a lot of takeover matches. Um, just face to heel, face to heel. He just really has nothing going for him right now. And you would think around this time of year, oh, the draft's coming up. Maybe he's going to Raw or SmackDown. People could not care less. And even without the speaking out stuff, which is bad enough, I, I feel like people just wouldn't care because he really hasn't been lighting the world on fire in 2020. But this should be a good match. I am looking forward to it from an in-ring standpoint, though I do feel like it's a massive waste of time unless Kushida wins. I feel like if he doesn't win here, he might as well just pack it up and go back to New Japan for wrestling when the uh, border opens up again to the whole travel restriction and shit. Just because... The guy has done a lot of nothing so far in NXT, but this is his time to really rise up and shine. If he can't win this match, I feel like it's just pack it up and go home type of thing. No, I completely agree. I'm not a big fan of either guy. Um, Kushida, I mean, just isn't really my cup of tea. But I, like you said before, with Velveteen, I just, I think he just, I don't know if he, I would say he peaked too early. I just think the fan, maybe the, you know what it is? I think the fans peaked him too early. Like, was he a good wrestler? Yeah, but I feel like fans were pushing for him to be, like, NXT champion, like, two years ago. And then now, obviously, with everything that's happened, he's just been an, an afterthought on NXT. I mean, couldn't really tell you the last time besides I besides that match against... Uh, Alistair? No, Cole. Cole, oh. uh, a few months ago. Oh, I don't yeah, remember yeah, take over. Okay, yeah. I thought no. you were going with something else. Okay, yeah. No, no, no. But um, I just think lately, even with those title matches with Adam Cole, I just... It, he just seemed like he had cooled down a lot that I just didn't think he was going to win the belt, and now he's kind of just petering at this point. So, um, like you said, if Kushida loses here, he might as well just pack it up and go back to New Japan, uh, go hang out with Kenta because his uh, NXT <laughs> won't be as memorable as his was. So I'm going to go Kushida here. I just – there's no – like you said, Velveteen winning really wouldn't do anything for him. I just think people don't care at this point. I think he's just kind of run this course and – People aren't really happy about what else has happened with him this year, so I, I would go with Kushida. Yeah, I feel like with uh, with Kushida, I mean, at least you know with with Kenta, he's actually going on a great success right now in New Japan, so which is cool to see. But his NXT reign was absolutely unspectacular. Uh, Kushida so far is a lot like in that Hideo Itami role, although Itami had more success early on than Kushida did. Um, I was going to say the injury bug kind of bit at Tommy, but it's also kind of bit Dream, too. He's only been hurt once, to my memory, maybe twice, but I feel like even before the speaking out stuff, as soon as he returned earlier this year, right before the pandemic happened, and like, it was a cool return, he was gone for about five or six months, I feel like he really cooled off since he came back. So, like, he hasn't had any memorable matches. The matches he had with Roderick Strong were just entirely forgettable. The Adam Cole matches I thought were decent. I thought the parking lot brawl was good, but it wasn't great. Um, he's been he was off TV for a little while after that. He had a Finn Balor match a couple of weeks ago that was good, but not great. So I, I just feel like he's lacking that one true memorable match in the last year or so. And uh, I, I well obviously Kushida does too, but he hasn't been given nearly as many opportunities as Dream has. So Kushida's got to win here. I'm not saying he absolutely will. I, they could always change their mind. Dream hasn't won a takeover match in a long time, so I could see him winning. But I'm gonna stick with Kushida. I'm gonna stick with what my gut says, and hopefully I'm right. Otherwise, you're gonna have a, a very angry GSM in your home on Sunday, RJ. Oh Lord. Yeah, I gotta prepare that window. Not jumping through it to be excited, but jumping through it because I'm gonna be fucking pissed. All right, I'll, I'll reinforce it when I get off the phone with you. <laughs> Perfect. Can't wait to be in the Marcel compound for TakeOver uh, on Sunday, which is going to be great. Let's see. So we got Santos Escobar, Isaiah Swerve, Scott, NXT Cruiserweight Championship match. Very excited this is a part of the main card. Just because I don't think in the X amount of years that the title's been around, maybe four years or the last year that it's been on NXT, it's never been defended on a TakeOver, and I never understood why. 
did not get that. Uh, maybe it's because we don't have a tag title match in the show, which is fucking terrible. This is the third takeover in a row that we do not have a tag title match on the show. That division is dead. Um, but I am glad the Cruiserweight Championship made the show. This should be a great match. The first match they had was good. I really like the back and forth they had, the split screen on Wednesday's NXT. I did. That was one part of the show I really liked. Um, I think this might be Scott's time because I said this on hashtag. I don't see a lot of these titles changing hands. We'll get to that in a moment. But I feel like if any championship is going to change hands, it would be this one. And I love Escobar. I don't think Escobar loses anything from losing here. Just because the division, not it's pretty desolate as well. They have fucking Tony Nese. Like, who cares? Like, they need more people in that division uh, that people care about. Escobar can't really be the king of a division where there's not a lot of people there. And I think with him, he could always move on to bigger and better things if he loses the championship here. A lot like Angel Garza. He could just move on to bigger and better things on the show or on the main roster or whatever. So uh, I don't think he has to win here. I'm going to give this to Isaiah Swerve Scott. I think he takes the title on Sunday. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, I love Garza, or not Garza. Escobar. Escobar a lot. Sorry about that. I love Escobar. <laughs> I love Garza too, though. So like, yeah. yeah, it goes both ways. I love Garza and I love Escobar. Mm-hmm. But I like Escobar a lot. I love the group. I just, I've said this before, before he even won the belt. I just think he's bigger than the belt. Like he can do more than just the cruiserweight division. So if he lost here, I wouldn't be too upset. I mean, I, like I said, I think he has brighter futures than just being pigeonholed in that division. So, I, I guess I'll go with uh, with Swerve. Um, I think he's been great. I've loved him since uh, his days in Lucha. But uh, he's kind of had good matches but never really won anything of importance. So, I went here. would actually help him out a lot. So, I'll go with Swerve. Um, and then you can have Escobar go on to bigger and brighter things. NXT North American Championship, Johnny Gargano challenging again for the title for the third straight takeover against Damian Priest. And I'm looking forward to the match. I really like the mixed tag team match from Wednesday's show. Uh, It just kind of comes out of nowhere. Gargano just did nothing to deserve it. I know he's Johnny. Like, he has a lot. He's an established name, obviously, in NXT. The guy has not won on a takeover, dude, since we were there. Takeover New York a year and a half ago. He beat Tommaso earlier this year, but that technically wasn't a takeover. It was like an episode of NXT. So he hasn't had a big, big win in a long time, uh, which makes me think he might win here, but I feel like Priest just won the belt. He's firing in all cylinders right now. You've become a fan of his. I like the fact he's champion. I'm really liking what he's been doing lately. I feel like it's too soon. I'm going to say Priest, but I guess I could see a scenario where Gargano might win too, and that's not a bad thing, but I feel like they keep putting Gargano in spots where he just shouldn't or can't win. And I feel like at some point he's got to win a match. So this is an interesting one, too. Yeah, this is a, this is definitely a little interesting, just like you said, because Gargano's challenging for the title again. It's just kind of been a reoccurring issue with him. Um, not that I've not... I like Johnny. I don't know. I just feel like he's kind of done it all at this point. I mean, I don't think if he went to the main roster, it would really help his career. probably... Wouldn't even be on TV, so I guess keeping down XT something. But I really have enjoyed Priest a lot as well. So I would like Priest's reign to continue. I've he's grown on me immensely. If you listen to archives, I used to just not give two shits about him. But <laughs> yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah. Babyface like badass persona just has won me over a lot, and uh, I, I think his I think his reign should continue. Maybe go on and face like maybe uh, Bronson Reed or someone else in like a deeper program, but. I'm gonna go with with Priest. I just I, Johnny winning the North American title just doesn't do much for me. Now the story with the next match, NXT Women's Championship, is that Candice and Johnny both hope to walk out of Takeover as champions, the first married couple in NXT history to be champions simultaneously. Uh, it's it's probably not gonna happen with. It might happen with Johnny. I feel like Johnny might have a better shot than Candice. Now I feel like they're building the EO and Ripley at some point, which they've really you know, drawn out. I thought we would have gotten it months ago, but we're not getting it. Any t- we'll probably get it at some point, but we haven't gotten it yet. Um, this is a tough one too, because I would love to see Candace win. I'm a big EO fan. I think EO is going to retain. That's my prediction. If the, the circumstances were different and Tegan was ready, but she just suffered an ACL tear, which I mean, she might as well just call it a career. That's her third knee injury since she joined the company three years ago. And it's a pretty big one too. It's just really unfortunate. So I got Candice losing here, but it would have been nice to see her win and then wait until Tegan comes back and Tegan can take the title from her. But it doesn't sound like Tegan's going to be back anytime soon. So what are your thoughts on the match? Who wins? And what are your thoughts on the whole, you know, Tegan Knox injury situation? Another tough one here. I don't know. I, I, I love EO. I 
not the biggest fan of Candice. Her heel turn's been definitely different, but just isn't my favorite. But um, I don't know. Like, like you said, I feel like they they had planted the seeds for Rhea and Io again. So it'd kind of be weird if you took the belt off or like a non-title match. I don't know. I guess you could still do that, but it just wouldn't really wouldn't really be too sexy in my mind. So um, I'll go with Io. I think I, I was thinking that Tegan probably be the one to take that belt off her. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. I think Dakota could always be the one down the line somewhere. They kind of never finished that up. They, I mean, she did lose to her, but I feel like there was there was still more going there, and they kind of just went away from it. So I'll, I'll go with Io here. I wouldn't be totally shocked if, if Candice won. I don't know. I just feel like they could have Candice win here and then, I don't know, do something, do something else. But, um... Yeah, I, I just think Tegan was the one that I, at least I think we both discussed that she'd be the one to take the belt, obviously, now obviously she's out. Maybe they scramble and just change plans, but uh, I'll go with Io here. Well, that was my, that's what I was going to say. So Tegan already went for the title and lost, but did you think that she was probably going to be the one to take the belt from Io ultimately at some point? I would say so. I, at this point, I don't know who else you would, I think she was a big enough star. She has the potential to be a big enough star that she'd be like, she could use the rub to beat to beat EO. Besides that, I can't really think of anyone else at the top of my head besides like maybe Dakota. Yeah, and Dakota's already lost too. It feels like she's beaten a lot of people. What you don't you you're telling me, Mr. Marceau, that you don't you don't want to see Charlotte come back on Sunday and beat EO for the championship? Not on, on not win on Sunday, but you don't want to see her come back and win the title? No, thank you. What? I thought you were all for Charlotte Flair three time, three time NXT women's champion. Come on. I'm pretty sure that was you. Uh, I, I, you know what? Check the archives. That might have been Graham or Mina. It definitely wasn't Graham Jesus and Matthews. I don't know, but I certainly did not say that here on the show. Um, but speaking of returns, we'll get to this part real quick. Usually I ask you every you know takeover prediction panel, who might debut, who might show up, who might be in the crowd. We haven't had that in like a year just because I don't think WWE has hired a single person. I said this on hashtag during the pandemic. Um, NXT, no exception. I don't Unless I'm missing something, aside from Dominic, I don't think they've hired anybody. They've only released people. So we don't have that like fresh blood coming in right now, but we do have a mystery person that's been on the show the last two weeks vowing a return on Sunday. We've had the graphic 10-4-2020, and they've implied that it's someone that used to be part of the show coming back for a championship. They broke into this glass thing with the men's NXT championship, the women's NXT women's title. So it, it could be a guy. It could be a girl. There's been a lot of speculation. I was hoping it would be Robert Roode just because I thought he would be a good fit. Back in NXT after they did nothing with him on the main roster for the most part. He's obviously back on Raw, so that's not happening. Uh, my only other two predictions are Bo Dallas is probably my number one. Just because we haven't seen the guy in fucking like a year. A long time. So, Bo Dallas or Ember Moon. But I don't think Ember Moon's ready to come back yet. I've heard nothing about her injury update. Um, what are your thoughts? And I mean, does either option excite you? I think Ember Moon's great, and I like Bo Dallas, and I loved his reign a couple of years ago, but I feel like it's been so long, and people just don't give a fuck about Bo Dallas anymore that I'm not really sure it would move the needle with anyone if it was him. I was just say, yeah, Bo Dallas does not tickle me at all. No thank you on that one. Um, I mean, Ember Moon would be nice. She hasn't done jack shit on the main roster, so that would be nice. I mean, Ricochet would be nice. Um... Just basically anyone that's on the main roster, they're just not using at all, would be nice. Besides Bo Dallas, I wouldn't give two shits if Bo Dallas can't. Like, I just don't care. I mean, that's probably who it's going to be, and I, I really don't care. Um, but I'm trying to think who else it could be. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, could it be? I've seen some speculation that it could be her, but she, <coughs> excuse me, she's never been a part of NXT. But she has wrestled on the show before. You know, in years, years, years ago, that being Tessa Blanchard, could it be a Tessa? I would rip my pants off if it was Tessa, but <laughs> but I mean, I mean I guess uh, it just wouldn't make sense because she's she's like, oh, I'm coming back for what's mine, and she's never been a champion there, so that's the only thing. Yeah, but I mean, you could tie up those loose ends. Hey, it'd be way better than fucking Bo Dallas, so. <laughs> um, well, you don't believe? Come Bo on, Dallas, I'll be upset. Like, what thing is like? What's gonna happen? Is this person just gonna come out during the match, or like? Do they like ever kind of like hint on how it's going to be revealed or not no? Really? They just they just said they'll be there on Sunday, so they might interrupt. <laughs> like but the, the the thing is, dude, is that I think I feel like with Bo, they've given him enough shots, and it's not his fault. But it's always start, stop, start, stop, especially in the main roster in the last five six years. 
it's gotten to a point where like Curtis Axel was, where he got released before he got released earlier this year, where it's hard to care. Like, remember when he was coming out a couple of years ago, they started doing the brand split and it said, I believe, and he was starting to be taken like seriously a little bit. Like he had an edge to him a little bit and he had like the Trump signs, but it said Bo Dallas on. Do you remember that at all? Yes. And then it literally went nowhere because no nowhere. one gives shits about the Exactly. Guy. And then they tried again with the B team and I don't think that really worked. That was never my cup of tea. I feel like the time to do this would have been like three or four years ago. I feel like in 2020, it screams challenger of the month for Damian Priest, and then he loses. Because Bo Dallas, you know what, as good as he is, the guy's not that great where I want to see him become champion elsewhere. It's a lot like Curtis Axel. It's not like, oh man, if Bo Dallas leaves, you can go on to like a, like a Rusev. Oh, we can go on to AEW and become a champion. He's just He's not that good to the point where I feel like there's any a lot of untapped potential there, you know? Yeah, I I would I I hope it's not him because like I said I just don't want him in like he's not someone that's not not being utilized he's not obviously not being utilized in Raw and SmackDown but just like I don't care like even if he was I just he's one like I said not it was on full I just like he's like a decent wrestler just doesn't really have hasn't had any good character work and just like he's just floundered but I just you can only give someone a certain like he doesn't. Even though I'm bad, like, I just don't think he deserves a second chance. Someone like a Ricochet or someone that who was good in NXT then got called up and obviously just wasn't used correctly. I think this is who it should be for someone that like could use it instead of him who's got uh, has given has been given a million chances. I agree. NXT Championship real quickly: Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly. I got Finn Balor winning here, but it's more of a question: Does Adam Cole cost him the championship? It seems like they're going in that direction, and personally, I don't want to see it happen. But it looks like we might be headed for a Triple H. Randy Orton-esque situation here from uh, Evolution. I hope not. I mean, I, I, I hope that they keep together, um, especially when they go to the main roster. I don't, I don't want them to split up, so I hope that's not the case. Um, but they've kind of, like you said, kind of teased it, so we'll see what happens. I, I don't want that to happen. I hope they just keep themselves together. They can still be a team and not, like, I don't know. I feel like WWE always does this. Like, they can still be aligned, but, like, they don't have to be, like, teaming together I don't know. Yeah. i've never like that like they're like oh like they're like they, they just think like just because a team's not teaming they just have to break them up which i think would be a big mistake yeah I, I would keep them together and just have them do their own separate things I, I think the match would be great i love kyle love finn i mean i think obviously finn's gonna win here i mean just won the belt back if they're gonna put the belt on kyle they would have just done it before and he wasn't even in that match so uh or unless they just just rushed in just well, like, oh, we got to make something big for TV, and they just put all those guys in this to get a rating. So yeah. I, I would keep on Finn. I love, I love uh, Kyle, but I, I would do Finn right now. I agree. Uh, Finn retains the championship, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the match. I liked what they did on Wednesday with Shawn Michaels. That sit-down thing I thought was great. So it should be a good show. Screams filler. I don't really think the show is necessary, but I'm looking forward to it. And hey, any opportunity, any excuse to see Mr. Marceau in person at the Marceau compound for the first time ever, I'm probably much more excited about than the show itself. It sounds like wow. a good opportunity to me. What'd you say? Wow. What are you talking about? Kid can't wait to see me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I know we just saw you a month ago, but I've never been to the Marceau compound before. I'm going to your territory for once. I know, seriously, it's going to be a good time. I'm excited, looking forward to it. Thanks for this uh, time, Mr. Marceau, looking forward to NXT and seeing the Marceau's RJ and Molly on Sunday, and I'll catch your ass then, brother. See you later, GSM. All right, adios. And finally, folks, check out new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Podbean. we got new shows, as I mentioned, every single Thursday. Find the show, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Your support of the show is greatly appreciated. We'll be back next Thursday with a very special seven-year anniversary episode of WrestleRant Radio. Now, I know we got the 30 years of Jericho next week on Dynamite. We got the one-year anniversary episode of Dynamite actually in two weeks, although the actual anniversary of the show was this week on October 2nd, but nonetheless... um. We actually are celebrating specifically seven years of WrestleRant Radio to the day next Thursday. And I don't think I've ever done a show on the anniversary itself since October 8th, 2013. So that's pretty damn cool. RJ will be back for the full show next week. Um, I don't have anything special planned. It's only seven years. It's not the five-year mark. It's not the 10-year mark. Seven years is still pretty cool, though. So again, guys... 
Can't stress this enough. Can't thank you guys enough for your support of the show. Um, this was a bit of a whirlwind of a week with everything else going on right now, but the show should be up a lot earlier next Thursday so we can celebrate the anniversary of WrestleRant Radio together. Until then, guys, have an awesome rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Well, it was